Man, it's been uh, such a great blessing in my life and, and uh, the life of my wife, Julia, to be here with you for these last six months. And uh, it is absolutely one of the highlights of, of our 2018. So it just feels so right to get to spend this, uh, this last Sunday of this year with you all and, and getting to read God's Word and see how it uh, applies to our lives this morning. So I'm really excited. I'm glad you chose to be here. I know it can be tough after the holidays in between Christmas and New Year's to find your way to church on a Sunday morning, and, uh, but I'm just, I'm really thankful you're here and uh, just excited. If you're new, welcome. Uh, this is an incredible church. It's not uh, been too long since I was new, and uh, just a, a welcoming community of people who love you, want to do life with you uh, as we all try to become more and more like Christ in our own lives. Well, this morning we're going to read from the book of 2 Kings chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out and uh, begin flipping to to 2 Kings 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat, uh, under the seat in front of you. So if you would, go ahead and get that out as we read God's Word together. Well, the students are still getting to know me, getting to know what what I like. But one of the things I I might have tipped my hand a little bit is that I enjoy Bible passages that have difficult names in them. I just think there are a lot of fun names in the Bible, and I like to say those fun names. And so there is no shortage of fun names in this passage that we're going to read this morning. But don't worry, I practiced, rehearsed, so hopefully I can can get them out. But if you would, go ahead and grab God's Word and and stand with me as we read together. The Word of the Lord says, When Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs. Jehoshaphat, who was King Jehoram's daughter and Athaziah's sister, secretly rescued Joash, son of Athaziah, from among the king's sons who were being killed and put him and the one who nursed him in a bedroom. So he was hidden from Athaliah and was not killed. Joash was in hiding with her in the Lord's temple six years while Athaliah reigned over the land." This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, we are coming off of Christmas, and I hope that you all had a a wonderful time with your family, uh, a good time celebrating together. And there's definitely a lot that there uh, to look forward to in the Christmas season, a lot to be excited about. But one of the things I think that that stands out to at least me personally is that there are some really, really great movies that are only around at Christmas. And so I don't know if you guys have a, a family favorite, if you have a Home Alone tradition or an elf uh, Christmas movie tradition, but those are some really great movies, uh, and it's always a lot of fun when those are on TV. I don't know if you had some of the same experience that that I did this Christmas. I was so excited, flipped on that TV, saw that elf was on, tuned into ABC, and realized that the movie was half over. And I was very, very disappointed. In that moment, I was very, very thankful for Netflix and for Amazon Prime, where I could be in control. I could set the movie on my terms, because it is a, just a big bummer to tune in and to, to find, come in halfway through the story, halfway through the movie. Well, as you can kind of tell in Second uh, Kings 11, we are definitely in the middle of the story. Uh, this, this story, just in these three verses, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I think it's important that we, we understand the context. This story takes place during the the period in which Israel and Judah were divided. That there were 10 tribes who had split to the north, and there were two tribes to form two separate kingdoms, and they were in in the south. And so during this time, Ahab and Jezebel ruled as the king and queen in the northern territory of Israel. 
And so they decided that they wanted to make an alliance with Judah. And so they gave their daughter, Athaliah, to be married to King Jehoram. And so Athaliah and Jehoram are married, and they have a son named Athaziah. And so Jehoram rules for a little bit, but eventually he passes away. And so Athaziah becomes the king. Yet, while some kings are brave, some kings are strong leaders and are able to command troops, Ahaziah is a weak king. And he's really more of a puppet for his very strong mother, Athaliah. And so she kind of exercises her influence and rules through him. And so Ahaziah, the king, rules for a time. But there comes, as we read here in verse 1, it comes to a point where he dies. And so Athaliah, when her son Athaziah died, is in panic. And she's worried that she's no longer able, going to be able to exercise the same amount of control on her grandsons that she was on her son. And so she devises this plot to annihilate all of the royal heirs and usurp the throne to rule as queen. But by the grace of God, this, this plan is thwarted by the faithful Jehoshaphat, who is the daughter of King Jehoram. She springs into action and she rescues Joash, who is one of uh, the, the king's sons. And so unbeknownst to the people of Jerusalem, unbeknownst to Queen Athaliah, there is in hiding in the temple a king, uh, uh, one who has been preserved from this destruction. Now, it would be a pretty terrible thing uh, in any sense, just for there to be a plot to kill a bunch of grandchildren, to, to kill a bunch of babies. But this is even more severe than it looks just on the surface. Because these grandchildren, these babies, these royal families aren't just any babies. They're not just any royal family. They are the descendants of King David. And this is a very important family. You see, all the way back in the beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, were separated from God, God began to work to bring about his plan through salvation. And so throughout the whole story of scripture, God has at key moments clarified and given important detail into how he is going to bring about his plan of salvation into effect. Who would be the savior that has been promised? And as we read through scripture, we get to a key passage in 2 Samuel 7. And in 2 Samuel 7, God and David have a conversation. And in this conversation, God promises that it will be through David's family that a Messiah would come. It would be through David's family that the Savior would come to redeem all humanity and restore them to a proper relationship with God. And so after David, every successive king has uh, not lived up to the billing. They've, they have not been the Savior. They've not been the one who would return God's people to right relationship with them. They've been sinful and wicked. And it's just been a long period of longing, waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. But as we arrive at 2 Kings 11, we see that God's promise that through the line of David, a Savior would come is in jeopardy. It's in jeopardy because the evil Athaliah is threatening to totally annihilate King David's family, rendering God's promise void. So it can be really easy when we come to a passage like this, especially one that's, that's not as common, to read these three verses and just move on. Read the remaining 13, see the story get resolved, and just continue with our day and not think much about it. But I want us to, to sit in the, this, this uh, passage for this morning and really put ourselves in the sandals of the people living in Jerusalem at the time. 
You see, for them, there were only three people in Jerusalem who, real, who knew that there was a king in hiding, that there were only three people who knew that Joash had been preserved by his aunt. The rest of Jerusalem is sitting there, and they know two things. One, they know that God had promised that through David's line, a Savior would come. But they also know, as does Athaliah, that all of David's descendants have been killed. And so in that, there is an incredible tension. There's this expectant longing that God will fulfill his promise, that he will send a savior. And at the same time, there seems to be that this promise has been broken, that this plan that God had had put into effect had been crushed by this evil and wicked king. It feels like God has lied. And if we're honest, we can feel that same sort of tension in our own lives, right? We read Scripture, and Scripture is filled with so many beautiful and wonderful promises. I think about in uh, in James chapter 5. James promises that if anyone is sick, let him pray in faith and receive healing. We read all the way back in Deuteronomy that God is a God who will be with us, who will never leave us or forsake us. Yet as we go through the difficulty of life, as we experience different life circumstances, our our, our circumstances and what happens to us don't always match our expectation of how God is going to work those promises out in our own lives. And so we can come to a place where we feel like God's promise has been broken, where we feel like God has lied to us, where we feel let down and just our circumstances are not matching our expectation of God. Well, as Christians, we don't uh, follow Christianity as some sort of formulaic religion We don't just hope that we'll pray a certain prayer and and fix all of our problems in an instant. And we don't worship a hope-it-works God. We worship a powerful God, a God who is able to accomplish all that he has promised. Yet even knowing that doesn't relieve us of this tension. It doesn't relieve us of the tension that the people living in Jerusalem during these six difficult years where Queen Athaliah ruled and it looked like David's family had been utterly destroyed felt. And so what does the Bible have to say to us when we feel these feelings? See, We don't need to run from these feelings. We don't need to try and sweep these feelings under the the rug. We're able to deal honestly with this tension and can come out on the other side having a deeper trust in God's faithfulness, that he does keep his promises. But how do we actually get there? And that's that's what I love love in this passage. And I think there are three three main things this passage highlights. And how do we get bridge that gap from, man, I feel like God has lied to God. Praise you. I can trust you. And I know that your promises are good. Well, the first thing I think we can can take away from this passage is that when we feel like God has lied, we are to do what we know is right. Men, I don't know if any of you have been given a mission like I have been given from your wives, but I was given the mission to go to the grocery store and get a can of chicken noodle soup for my wife. And so I went willingly. What an easy task. What an awesome way for me to show my love for my wife and to show how capable I am. And so I walk into the grocery store full of confidence, ready to prove my capabilities. And I turn onto the soup aisle, only to be stopped dead in my tracks, realizing that there are not just one type of chicken noodle soup, but there are 18 different varieties and different brands and different sizes, different, different sodium levels, different amounts of chicken, different amounts of vegetables, and I am frozen. 
I do not know what to do. I do not know how to proceed. I was not given any more instructions. And so my confidence in being able to be the hero to bring home the chicken noodle soup is lessened, but it's not gone. So I just pull out my phone and I send my wife a text. Which type of chicken noodle soup is it that you would like? Well, for the next 30 seconds to a minute, I stand looking like an idiot in the, in the soup aisle, <laughs> waiting for my wife to respond as more competent people than me are able to come by, pick the soup, and, and move on, and I'm still waiting. Here, all right, this is getting a little awkward. I'll decide I'll try and call. And so I call, and conveniently for me, my wife has nowhere to be found and not picking up the phone. And so in that moment, I'm faced with a decision. I have to select which one of these chicken noodle soups I think is right. I have to act on what I know with no further instruction. Well, in our story here in 2 Kings 11, we have our heroine, Jehoshaphat, who does that very thing. She does not receive an angelic vision. God does not speak to her and say, Jehoshaphat, it is time for you to do what you know is right and to rescue your nephew, Joash, so that my promises can be preserved and my purposes fulfilled. No, Jehoshaphat, without any outside instructions, does what she knows to be right. She knows that God has promised that uh, through her family, a Savior would come, and she hears the decree, and in a moment, she risks everything to do what she knows is right. See, that's what we are called to do when we find ourselves in the difficulties of life, when we find ourselves wondering, what does uh, this mean? What are these life circumstances? How do these relate to God's promises and His promise to uh, whatever it is. So for example, if in those periods where we're facing health crises, what do I do when the doctor report comes back negative? I've been praying in faith. What do I do? Well, I think God's word clearly speaks to us that we are to persevere. We're to, to keep praying. What, what do I do when uh, I have a, a strained relationship with a family member? Well, we're to, to seek reconciliation. And as believers, we can have confidence, even in those difficult moments in life, that God has spoken clearly in his word and left us instructions on what to do. So when we feel like God has lied, when we feel like we're in the midst of a, a, a tension where God's promise isn't matching our expectation, we are to do what is right. Yet, we know from life experience that it is seldom a single act of obedience, seldom a single act of stepping out in faith that resolves this tension, right? Our, uh, if we looked into the story, the people in Jerusalem were in this tension for six years. And for some of you, that's how long it feels like. For some of you, you might have, have remained in this tension wondering, what was God up to? What is he doing for an extended period of time? And in that, my encouragement to you is that we are to be a people who not only do what is right, but we are to be a people who keep doing what is right. Put yourselves in the place of those people in Jerusalem. Each and every one of them had a choice when they heard that Athaliah had given the order and the royal heirs were destroyed. See, they had a choice to continue to go to the temple, to continue to worship God, to continue faithfully doing all that he had outlined, or they had the opportunity to use this as an excuse to step away, to say, man, God's not what I thought. This isn't going how I expected. This isn't according to my plans. So, you know, maybe this isn't just what I signed up for. I think, uh, you know, I'm just going to step back. I'm going to see how it all plays out. 
Well, we're kind of sit in a privileged position. We know that the story is resolved. We know that God has proven faithful. And when Joash comes out of hiding and is announced as king and Athaliah is destroyed, there's an incredible celebration. The people are rejoicing. They realize that God has been faithful. And in that moment, there are two different people, right? There are people who are able to celebrate with all the genuineness, knowing that that's right, I trusted God. I continued to faithfully serve you. And look, God came through for me. But then there are other people who are certainly excited that Joash is alive, certainly excited that God's promise has not been broken. But they have to grapple with the fact that during those six years, they allowed that to cause them to step back from their relationship with God. They weren't as close to him as they were. They kind of allowed their circumstances and their, their and lives' difficulties to impact them negatively. And so as we seek to be a people who are faithful during the times where life just isn't what we expect, isn't going how we want, we need to be a people who continue to do what we know to be right. The author and pastor, Eugene Peterson, had it completely right when he defined and characterized the Christian life as a long obedience in a single direction. The day in and day out can be hard. Life is extremely tough. Uh, we kind of are, are reminded of that coming off of time with family. You know, for me personally, being home with family can be hard because there are certain family members who I've been praying for. I, I want them to, to come to a, a saving relationship with Christ and know how much better their life would be if, if they would just submit to God's Lord, to his authority. If they still continue to live how they want, still live distant from Christ. And it can be so hard just the, the day in and day out struggle of, of grappling with this. God, you've, you've promised, but this isn't my reality. And in those times, we need to keep doing what is right. We can have confidence that God is faithful. We know that all of his promises will be fulfilled. But in that tension, when, it, when we're wondering how it's going to play out, we need to look to God and we need to be reminded of his, of his goodness, continuing to do what we know is right. But if this was a sermon about mere pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, trying a little harder, it'd be pretty lame. See, the reason that we're able to do what is right and to keep and have the confidence to keep doing what we know is right is because of the faithful character of our God. One of the things I really enjoy about this passage is that as the reader, we're kind of given a privileged position, right? We read these verses and we recognize that Joash is saved. We know that God's promise hasn't been broken. We know that God is still working in remarkable ways. And we can kind of uh, look and see, oh, maybe God did this just to test the faith of the people, to see what they would do, how they would respond to adversity. Yet we know that it's all good. Our only question is, when is God going to reveal this great news that everything's okay to the, to the people in, uh, in Jerusalem? Uh, Yet life just isn't really like that. We're never really in the opportunity to know exactly how God is going to work, when he is going to work, and, and kind of the why behind the difficulties we're going through. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely a guy who likes to know the how, who likes to know the why, and who likes to know when my difficulties are going to be resolved. I can spend lots of time crying out, God, why is this happening to me? When are you going to make it better how come this hasn't been resolved already? And I can just kind of breed a, a sense of, of frustration, a, a sense of, of difficulty. And especially in those times, 
where we feel like God hasn't been good on his promise. But in those times where we feel that God has lied, remember that God is faithful. See, this passage gives us great insight into how God often works. We rarely get an answer to how, the how and why questions. Instead, in times of difficulty, we are given an extended invitation from God to trust him. We aren't, our problems aren't resolved on our timetable. Our problems aren't resolved often in the ways that we would expect or, or would desire. But in those times, we are always able to trust in the faithful character of our God. Imagine with me that you're driving on the Gene Snyder one night. And as you're driving late at night on the road, all of a sudden some, uh, you, you become aware of a disturbance behind you. And so you look in your rearview mirror and there's a car just about 500 yards back who is who's just swerving in and out of traffic and, and their lights are, are, are all over the place. And so you look, man, they're, they're, they're driving crazy. And so you, you continue to look back and they are passing someone on the shoulder. They're, they're cut running people off the road. And so you determine that it's in your best interest for you your safety and actually making it home, that if you would just kind of pull off on the, this next exit, allow this maniac to pass, and then you'll, you'll get back on and, and continue on your way. And so as you're on the exit ramp getting off, the car gaining on you, you, you pause for a moment and you realize, hey, that, that car looks really similar. And as that maniac driver passes, in an instant your thinking changes, as you realize this isn't a maniac, this is my dad. This person who I thought was a crazy lunatic who needed to have their license suspended, who should not be allowed on the road, is actually your very own family member. And in that moment, your thinking changes from this person is crazy, what are they doing, to oh my, what is wrong? And the reason your thinking changes is because you know your dad. You know that he doesn't drive like a crazy person. You know that he's responsible. You know that he would never drive so recklessly without a reason. See, it's the same thing with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We don't often know the reason. We don't often know the why. But we do know that our God is faithful. We do know that we can trust Him in the midst of our difficulties. And so when we are in life circumstances where we feel like God's promises aren't being uh, expressed in our circumstances, where we feel like God has lied, we can trust Him and know that He is faithful. See, God is faithful even when our lives seem wrong, even when it feels like His promises have been broken. See, this, this passage gets resolved in a, in a pretty exciting way. This is a good, you know, good story, dads, for you to read with your sons because, you know, it's the, the good graphic death and destruction in God's Word. But you see that the high priest comes out, he gathers the army around him, and he brings Joash out in front of the people, crowns them, and they, they start praising. And then Athaliah is yelling, treason, treason, no one listens. They take her out and they put her to death. And so God's uh, plan is resolved. But Joash is king. He rules. He does some good things. There's, there's some reform, but he is by no means the savior. He is by no means the one who is, is going to restore uh, humanity to a right relationship with God. And so we see that this is just a, a small picture in Scripture of God's faithfulness, but it points us to something so much greater. Because after Joash, in the line of David, we get to a point where a descendant of David and Mary and Joseph have a baby boy named Jesus. And Jesus is the one who had been promised. He is 
the one who will restore God's people to himself and allow us to have a right relationship with God. You see, Jesus is the ultimate validation of the faithfulness of God. He is the purest expression that we can trust God in times of difficulty and distress. See, he has come to make right the wrong of human sin. And he is the fulfillment of God's promise to redeem his people to himself. So when we face difficulties, when we face trials, they are an invitation to trust God and a reminder that God has proven himself faithful in the sending of Jesus Christ to take away our sins and that he will continue to prove himself faithful as we wait with eager expectation and longing for Christ to return. You see, for the believer, Jesus is the validation of the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. He's the silencer of those doubts. He's the encouragement and the strength we need to continue to do what is right in times of difficulty. But for the unbeliever, Jesus is the invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. He is the door by which we can enter and have a relationship with God. You see, we are a broken people. We are a people separated from God. But Jesus, in his love for us, did not cling to the things of heaven, but gave himself willingly to come to earth in human form, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sins and for my sins, so that we might know that our God is faithful and that we might experience the goodness of God coming to know and share in the rich blessings that he has offered us through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, from 2 Kings 11, we're reminded that there will be times when the events of this life may make us feel that God has lied. Yet in those moments, let us look to Christ and find strength to keep faithfully following our faithful Father. Let's pray.